0: In May of 1845, there were two Royal Navy ships, the uh, HMS Terror and uh, the HMS Arabus. They were both serious bomb vessels that served very, very well in the War of 1812. And, and in 1845, however, they embarked on a, a new mission from London, and it was a novel mission for, for the time. Uh, they went to forge a passage that went from England uh, to an area of Canada, what, what, oh, hey, Children's Church, thank you for flagging me down, and if that's any of you, all the attention is going to be on you right now as you walk (laughs) out of here, so sorry about that, thank you for that, yes, and I appreciate the flags, thank you uh, for that. So anyway, these two ships, uh, they were, they were uh, forging a new passage from England to an area of Canada that had only been partially mapped at the time. And the goal was to pioneer uh, what is now known as the Northwest Passage. Uh, it would open up new trading routes, and it would create a safer voyage to go from England. I'll do it in your direction here. To go from England, I think, and then up around the northern part of Canada to the, uh, the, the eastern part of Asia uh, instead of the very dangerous uh, track that they would have had to have made before that of going all the way south down uh, around Argentina and Chile. Uh, especially, there's a very dangerous uh, place called Cape Horn for uh, ships. Uh, this far out uh, in, in time, it would be hard for us to imagine uh, how important this mission would be for Western economics and exploration and from all the accounts this trip really should have been a success it was led by this arctic veteran who was known for his uh, sailing into uh, arctic regions it was a guy named sir john franklin it, the ship itself had been upgraded to this new technology that uh, that the brits had made it was coal-fired engines uh in uh in in the uh, powering the propeller screws for locomotion and uh, it seems so basic to us, but tinned food, like where they would put food in a tin, was new at this time, and so it preserved food for their, for their, uh, for their journey. So the thing was that it was a risky trek. Uh, Everything had to be absolutely perfect. The food rations had to be carefully measured. The, uh, the timing was set just right. Uh, weather up in that area could be very, very unpredictable, especially at certain times of the year. If one thing failed, if the weather didn't fare correctly, or if uh, something happened with the food rations, or if a sailor got sick, or uh, had some sort of a mental breakdown, which, which did happen as well, uh, the mission would quickly become a catastrophic disaster. Well, two months uh, later, the ship had sailed off the the uh, the coast of the Baffin Bay, which is on the uh, the western side of Iceland, and I'm sorry, Greenland, and um, was never heard from again. Now, uh, for us uh, in an instantaneous age, we would uh, think about communication that we hadn't heard from them. It was uh, two years before Britain decided to send out a rescue vessel to go find this, this boat and these, these two boats and see what happened to them. And um, by the time that the rescue mission returned, it brought news that both ships had sunk, that 129 men had died. Uh, a sea excavation later determined that this, uh, this tragedy really had two factors that made this happen. Uh, The first was that the engines were underpowered for uh, the movements of the ice that it it went through, and it tore up the ships. And uh, the other thing was that they were dangerously low on supplies, uh, for one, trying to fix things on the ship, but also for food. That tinned food that I had just talked about, uh, they they, uh, contracted out the lowest possible bidder However, that's not always the way you want to do things when it comes to food, because not only was the food rotten, but it wasn't stored in tin. It was stored in lead. And so the sailors more than likely had lead poisoning. There was a terse note that was left that uh, stated that the captain was dead most likely from lead poisoning and the survivors that were left on the ship abandoned the ship and headed south on rowing boats and one of those rowing boats later was discovered with the skeleton still in the rowing boat, their hands on the oars. From the other remains found, those who had died first were harvested and consumed by the others who eventually died. So when we think about a mission like that, we can easily conclude that the reason that it failed was lead poisoning, uh, failed engineering, among other things. And that would make sense and it would be true. But that's not entirely why that mission failed. It would be better to get an overall understanding of the picture of this mission, and we could say that this mission failed because they were ill-equipped. This mission failed because they were not properly prepared with the things that they needed from supplies to nutrition to uh, even a ship that was strong enough to do the kinds of things that they were being set out to do. Their problem was that they were not equipped and not prepared, and this mission was an utter failure. You know, we're continuing on this journey that we've been on since September here in the church in trying to learn more about what the church is and what our place is here in the community and in, uh, in this Christian life. Um, and what we're going to talk about today is often neglected in our conversation in Christian circles. And uh, the neglect of this creates weak and effective churches. And when churches are weak and ineffective, they produce weak and ineffective Christians And those weak and ineffective Christians and churches are often targets for the enemy. And when churches and Christians are easy targets for the enemy, our spiritual food rations very quickly go uh, tainted and we get poisoned and our engines and our structures are no match for the spiritual ice that we are trying to cut into. And we easily sink. When When God calls us to himself... He doesn't call us to stand on the shore and cheer on the crew as they go off to the northern passage. He puts every single one of us on that boat with a mission and orders. And the extent to which we are equipped is the extent to which we will succeed in the mission that we are given. Therefore, today we are going to work out this statement, and it is that God calls us to be a church that equips people of the church for ministry and for spiritual warfare. I only have one point today, and I'm sure some of you that peaks up a level of interest right there. But that one point is is that we need to be equipped. We need to be equipped. When someone enlists in the armed services, I've never been in the, any armed service, so I had to research this today uh, or this week, um, the branch just doesn't uh, bring in the recruit, uh, throw a uniform on them, uh, give them a weapon, and send them into battle. Rather, they must carefully train them. The National Guard on their website, for example, lays out what a basic training would look like for them. It has 10 weeks of basic training with three phases. The first is what they call the, the red phase, and it has two components. The shakedown, which I think that's pretty much self-explanatory, shaking you from your normal life into getting into something that you are going to be molded into in training. It's meant to strip the recruit down mentally and physically so that they can learn discipline and tactics and, and uh, get physically fit. The second phase is called the, the white phase. And in the white phase, it focuses on you know, developing those, those combat skills with special emphasis on weapons and, yes, physical fitness. There's a pattern here. And the final phase is known as the blue phase, or more appropriately, it is the warrior phase. It is targeted on, on individual tactical uh, improvements and understanding of teamwork. It's, a, it's an intense 10-week training program, but it's incredibly important. If you are preparing people for battle, To go into a war zone, you need soldiers that know what they're doing and are going in eyes wide open to those things that they are going to encounter. If they are not properly trained and equipped, missions fail and people die. As Christians, we often forget that we are at war. This is a war that's been going on since Genesis chapter 3. And we entered into this war the minute that we said yes to Jesus, and it will not conclude until you and I die or Jesus comes back. And because we tend to forget that we're in a constant war, most of us are ill-equipped. Even worse, some of us are so clueless to the battle around us that we don't even see a need to be trained or equipped in the Lord. Just like a physical war, our enemy loves it when we're unprepared and it makes his job so much easier. Now, hopefully you're thinking, wow, I I understand that I'm tracking with you. How do I get equipped? What does that even look like? Well, thankfully, God has given us a little help here in Ephesians chapter 4. God tells us through the Apostle Paul that he has given gifts to the church for just this thing. Look with me in Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us According to the measure of christ 's gift, this passage can be really confusing, so we need to, uh, we need to put on the break a little bit and go through this slowly. Scripture is very clear that he has given every one of us, if you are in the Lord, something called a spiritual gift. Uh, these are gifts that are given by the Holy Spirit that are meant for every believer uh, to have a place of service within the body of Christ to build up the body and to minister to the, the world as well to to have people know Jesus as Lord and Savior. So the grace here that Paul refers to is not saving grace. This is a different kind of grace. It's a grace that he gives to each one of us as individuals. And Paul references uh, Psalm 68 here to solidify his point. It's a, it's a victory psalm of how a, a Roman general would, would come back from a victory in war. And I, I don't know if it's true for you other guys, but I do think about the Roman Empire every day. It's actually part of my job, and uh, I don't know if any of you have seen that TikTok trend. But dudes think about the Roman War or the Rome all the time, and this Roman general would come back after victory, and what would typically ha- would happen is that he would have his enemy captors behind him. And the town would come out and they would usher him in and he would bring the spoils of war and he would, and he would pass them out liberally to the town that he is coming back into and the, uh, the captives that he takes would then be the slaves. And here, Paul is referencing that uh, Psalm 68 here. In verse 8, when he says, Therefore, it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth. That's not, that's not hell. That's he came here on earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. So, he gives these gifts And now in verse 11, he does something really, really interesting. He describes specific gifts that he has given to specific people in the church and using them to be gifts to the people of the church so that they can go about doing ministry. Look what it says. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So what Paul does here should radically change our understanding of pastors and elders and staff and other leaders in the church and their role in ministry. In American evangelicalism, we tend to look at the leadership, especially the paid leadership, as the ones who are to do this ministry uh, i find this every so often when someone might come up to me with a great idea for ministry and they they come up to my office and and they say a oh, pastor i got this great idea that our church should do and they they lay it out and it's a great idea and i say to them that's a wonderful idea implicit in them saying that however is pastor here's a great idea You should get this started. And so what I typically will do is say, that is a great idea. It seems like God has really laid something on your heart to get going. And so I will support you. I'll give you all the tools that you need. I'll do whatever it takes for you to make this your ministry. And I would say that over 90% of the time, those ministries fall flat because they don't even get started. Or every so often, I'll have someone call and say, uh, Pastor, I have this friend in my neighborhood that doesn't know the Lord and he's really struggling and I think it would be really great for, for you to go out and, and talk with him. And I, I'm glad to do that. But my response will often be, sounds like God's given you a good relationship and that God has put you in a place to speak truth into this person's life. Now, if you need help and how to talk to this individual, I'm more than happy to help you. But it certainly sounds like God has given you a great ministry. Now, I, I absolutely love meeting with people and uh, I'm happy to meet with them. Uh, but as elders, we are, we are called to shepherd the flock. We are called to lead, feed, protect, and provide for the flock. But in this verse, Paul tells us that as a unified body of believers, one of the unique roles of elders is To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, it says, for building up the body of Christ. The ministry of the church is not meant to be sourced out to paid professionals while everyone else sits back and enjoys the ride. No, Paul is very clear here that the ministry of leadership is to train individuals in order to spread the work of ministry out. It is the responsibility of every single one of us who are members in the church to do ministry, to build each other up, and to proclaim Christ in the world. When I interviewed here uh, in 2014 for the, the role of associate pastor, one of the questions that I was asked was, what are your goals for this role? And my answer to that question is exactly the same today as it was nine years ago. So my goal for this role is to work myself out of a job. And the reason I say that is because of what Paul says here in Ephesians 4. It is the goal of the the leaders in the church to train people for ministry. Is that ever realistically going to be attainable? No. But my goal is to work to that end so that there would not be a need for a pastor. We are to minister for each other or to each other. Um, the goal is laid out in uh, verses 13 and 14 to, to train until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the, the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So the goal here, according to Paul, and I, this isn't an offensive term, so please don't take this offensively, the goal is to grow up. Like, you and I, we need to grow up. We shouldn't be spiritual children. You, me, all of us, we need to grow up. And Paul puts it this way in, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, when he says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, here's the purpose, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. You know, Dave and I and and many other leaders are here to be resources for you to tap into and to be equipped. And so I wrote three areas uh, that I think are particularly important in our church, in every church, to think about being equipped. And the first thing that we need to be equipped in is faith and knowledge. Faith and knowledge. We need to be uh, trained in the knowledge of what we believe as Christians. I'm not saying we need to be a church of academians, but if we want to fight the good fight of faith, we, if we want to present Christ to a lost world, we need to know what we believe and why we believe it. We need to be students of the Word. Uh, this, this need was, uh, was blatantly shown to Dave and I a couple of months ago when uh, we sent out a survey, and, and maybe, maybe most of you saw it, that I asked our church to honestly answer some theological questions. It's, so what I'm about to present here is not to shame anything, but it's a diagnostic tool to just see where we're at. Uh, in this first, uh, this first stat we found is that 13% of our congregation didn't know or agreed that God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, is, uh, Islam, and Judaism. 13%. That's, that's more than one out of 10 Uh, The next one, uh, 13% either didn't know or agreed that God learns and adapts to different circumstances. Uh, On the question of whether Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God, 30% agreed and 13% weren't sure. That's 43% that are at least not sure if Jesus was a created being. 12% 12% agreed that Jesus was a good teacher, but not God. 22% indicated that they believe that the Holy Spirit is a force, but not a personal being. 17% believed that the smallest sin did not deserve eternal damnation. 10% weren't sure. 24% of respondents uh, indicated that they believed everyone is born in the innocent, uh, innocent in the eyes of God, and 10% didn't know. Now, obviously, we can't hash all these out here. These are just for example. But this survey is alarming. We desperately need theological training. Uh, so how do we do this? And it should go without saying that the first thing we need to do, need to do is personally get in our Bibles. The answers to all of these survey questions up there is right here. And we need to be students of the Word. We have no excuse we have more access to the scriptures than any other country in the world at any other time in human history. There are, I did a search for this this week and I found out that there are over 900 translations of the Bible into English. We have no excuse for not reading our Bibles. When we get to heaven, if God asks us, Why didn't you... Know more of my word. Why didn't you know me more through my word? Do you think God will be satisfied to say, uh, for us to say, we were too busy? you think God's going to say, oh, that's right, I totally forgot. You were really busy. Uh, Go ahead on in. What would he say if we said we didn't read it because we don't like to read? Second, we need to be intentional about being here, and it's more than just for a Sunday morning service. We need to be attending Sunday school. We need to be getting into groups that are studying the Bible. We need to uh, be in groups where, where theology is, is taught. We need people to say, I'm in. We need to train up leaders so that we can spread out uh, some of the work that needs to be done. We're all busy. I totally get it, but the issue isn't Uh, about being busy. We're all busy. The issue is about priorities. Too many things have convinced us that they are more important than our knowledge and growth in God. The second thing that we need to be equipped in is the area of relationships. In our hyper-individualistic culture, we have all but lost relationship skills. We don't know how to relate to each other. We avoid conflict and we lack conflict resolution skills. We would much rather, and I'm in this boat too, we would much rather text than call. And we would much rather call than be face-to-face with each other. We avoid personal conflict. We give the illusion that we thrive in surface-level relationships, but we die inside because most of us don't even Can't even think of someone that we feel comfortable enough with sharing our burdens with. Most of us don't have a 3 a.m. friend that we can call up in the middle of the night for whatever reason just to have them help us. Statistically speaking, we're more connected than ever. Can you think of, of a time in which we have ever been more connected with? pretty much every single person in the world than we are right now. We're more connected than ever, yet our culture is incredibly lonely. It's incredibly depressed, incredibly anxious, and hungry for true relationships. Friends, there's one thing that I have learned about Christianity, is that Christianity is all about relationship. Yet many of us don't even know how to carry on a biblical friendship. Most of us, or some of us, I should say, don't even know how to live in a Christ-centered biblical marriage, or how to navigate through hurts, or, or forgiveness, or, or reconciliation. It shows by some of the things that we're struggling with. All is not well with most of us, and a deep relationship would be a great balm on the wound of relationships. Relationships. And the remedy is the same as the one before, knowing God through his word and getting involved in the church. Coming to Sunday school, volunteering in the nursery or Awana or one of the many other things that we have where we are here to connect people together It is saying to a friend, hey, you want to go get coffee? We have have a caribou coffee in town now. Can you believe that? In Mora with great seating. It does afford privacy. Hey, you want to go get a cup of coffee? Or even saying to them, uh, would you want to get together and just read a book of the Bible together and talk about it? It's saying to Pastor Dave or myself, how can can I be equipped in this way? We want you and we want our church to flourish, and that has to happen in the context of relationships. And uh, thirdly, the final thing that we need to be equipped in is the area of service or doing ministry. Uh, I said before that we're all gifted in many ways, but sometimes those gifts need to be worked out and trained. Um, we all have different passions and skills or ways that we can benefit the church, and what a wonderful thing it would be if, if you got the bug to, uh, to teach Sunday school or a Bible study or mentor someone or a youth or do visitations or plan outreaches or, or uh, social activities here or, or join the worship team or, or whatever the many ways that, that you can plug in here and be a blessing to our church and to our community at large. It, it wouldn't be as if you're, you're assigned to active duty uh, in the military and you're just thrown into the battle without any training. Uh, the idea would be for you maybe to shadow someone. We have that going on right now. Lydia's in the back learning the, the slide projector thing. She's watching Tammy do what she's doing. It's getting trained up in that sort of way. It is uh, so shadowing in that, or getting connected with someone who has experience and then um, having them let you spread your wings and, and, and fly into the role, I, I know it can be intimidating, but let me give you a little secret about myself. Yes, I have a, a, an advanced degree in theology and uh, pastoral studies. Most of my skills have not been learned in a book most of what I know I've learned from experience, from going out and doing it. And the thing is, I'm still learning. I still have no clue of what I'm doing on most things in life. But I'm learning as I go and you are too. So one of the church's pillars or purposes is that you would have a place here in our, in our community. It's not to be a bench warmer. Perhaps you would be for a season. You know, that bench does need to get warmed, but we, people that can switch out and you need to be ready for when you get called into the game. We need you. We need you to be equipped. We, we need you to be a part of what God is doing here so that we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. You have a place here. You are needed here. You are loved here. And we want to structure our church in such a way that we would be an equipping institution so that you can find joy in serving and knowing Jesus and you can lead others into savoring Jesus as well through what you are doing. You know, the story of the HMS Terror and the HMS Erebus is uh, uh, quite terrifying, but it could have been avoided if they had just been equipped and prepared. That does not have to be our story. So let's be intentional about being an equipping church, an ascending church, That takes intentionality on my part as well as the rest of the church. But if we are intentional about this, we can look forward to a day that we can look back and see just how we attained the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. We'll look back and, and wonder at God's faithfulness to us that we achieved mature manhood, whatever that means. We'll look at that again in a few weeks to the measure of the stature of fullness of Christ. We'll look back and see that we went from being children that were tossed to and fro by the waves and and carried about by every wind of doctrine. I don't know many children that are carried about by the waves, but I think you get the picture there. By human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. And we can look back and we can wonder at the, the glory of Jesus and his faithfulness and his grace to us because we stepped up, we got equipped, and we stormed the beaches of the enemy. Let's be an equipping church. Father, I, uh, I thank you.